Did you know that it's normal for your circle of friends to change every seven years? Are you worried about the number of your friendships shrinking? Navigating adult friendships can be very different from when we were on the playground in elementary school. In today's episode, we're talking with Danielle Byer Jackson, a friendship coach and TikTok influencer. And if you're thinking a friendship coach sounds even more frivolous than a life coach, be prepared to think otherwise after you listen to this episode. Let's dive in. Okay, I'm so excited to have Danielle on. We're just going to get jump straight on in. Briarly, can you tell us a little background on Danielle? Yes. Yeah, so Danielle is a female friendship coach and educator who speaks nationally on the subject of friendship as a wellness imperative. Her business, Friend Forward, is dedicated to teaching women how to create and maintain better female friendships. Her expertise has been featured in NBC News, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Shape Magazine, and a host of other media outlets. A former high school teacher, Danielle now uses her teaching skills as an educator to coach women through ways to navigate common friendship conflicts. She shares her insight weekly on the Friend Forward podcast, has several viral videos on TikTok, and recently signed a six-figure book deal to bring her practical research-based strategies to the masses. So let's bring her on. I am so excited about our guest today. She is someone that you didn't know you needed to know. Danielle is a friendship coach, and I met her this past spring at that the same conference that we've had two other guests now from um, in Franklin, Tennessee. But Danielle's presentation on adult friendships and just understanding those and how complex they are blew my mind. I don't ever take notes. Like even in my really scientific conferences I go to, I don't ever take notes. I took eight pages and I have gone back to them and I was screenshotting them to you the whole yeah. time. She was live texting me pictures from the session and I, of course, was like zooming in and reading her notes. You know, it was it was it was, it was some serious excitement and devotion. Yes, and so I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have to have her own the podcast." We had to know more about you. So, thank you for joining us today, Danielle. Oh, thank you for having me. This is this is such an important topic. So I'm happy to lend my voice to the conversation. I am like when I was listening to your podcast, I just kept thinking to myself, "How on earth?" And I can't wait, by the way, to go look at your TikTok because I'm not like a big TikTok person. So that's kind of like my homework after today. But I just kept thinking, like, how did you even get into this industry? Like, uh, like, w tell us, please. This is so yeah, unique. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I always joke, you know, friendship coach certainly wasn't on my vision board when I was <laughs> eight or anything like that. But I fell into it. So I was actually a high school English teacher for six years. And so between classes and after school, you know, young ladies were coming up to me with their issues. And I didn't realize at the time I was coaching them through it, but that's kind of what was happening. And so after I left that world to get into the field of public relations, I foolishly thought, oh, that teenage trauma <laughs> is behind me. <laughs> and then, you know, of course I learned, wow, you know, even high achieving, charismatic, successful women are confessing either having friendship issues, maybe not having friends at all because they prioritized work so much. And so I kind of had a moment of like, wow, I, at every stage of womanhood, we're trying to figure out how do I relate to other women? And so one night I came home, I went on Amazon and I searched friendship books. And at the time, there was virtually nothing. And of the few results that came up, most of them were for children. And I thought, 
this is what we think of friendship, that surely a child might have issues, but there's nothing for adults. Mm. And so I kind of went down the rabbit hole. And for the past five years, I've been serving as a female friendship coach and educator. And it's been a blessing to, to work with women who share some of their most personal uh, thoughts and fears and, and aspirations with me. And it's been a really fun ride. So you, you do on a daily basis, you do one-on-one coaching with women, right? Yep. So one-on-one coaching for any kind of friendship issue that they have, whether it's something immediate. So I get emails all the time that are like, okay, I need a session tomorrow. Are you available? Because I'm having lunch with a friend and I think I got to tell her something, but like, I don't know. I want to work through it. So sometimes it's urgent. And a lot of times I can't accommodate those. I'm like, girl, I have a schedule, but every now and then I'm like, you know what, let's do it. You know, I can hear the desperation in her voice. I'm like, let's do it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I come alongside them and I coach through making friends. If you're in a new city, how to have a hard conversation with a friend you've just been ruminating over incessantly or how to let go of a friendship. And so there's a myriad of things that I can offer support for. Yeah. Well, you were speaking when I saw you or met you, you were speaking to a room full of entrepreneur women. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, um, you mentioned, I think maybe you even mentioned it, you know, you get, you love, you're so passionate about your career. You get so into it, but that also makes you kind of lose not lose friends, but you just get, you get so immersed in your career um, that then you like come up for air or like you got a free weekend and you're like, okay, who do I hang out with? You know, Mm -hmm. you have friends you could call, but you realize you have let those super close ones, you know, you need to repair, reach out, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite things about this topic is we can speak about it from the intersection of a lot of different things. So friendship and entrepreneurship, friendship and motherhood. And I love tailoring the the discussion to that specific group because we all have our personal uh, struggles. But as a woman entrepreneur with two kids trying to do all the things, I know very intimately some of those challenges as as a high achieving woman who thrives on accomplishments, um, but also wants to maintain friendships. And so, yeah, if you put friendship on the back burner, because a lot of times we take advantage of our friends, oh, they'll be there. I don't have to like, you know, repot that plant because it's there, you know, and then we are missing closeness. Then we don't have anyone to to ask for help. We're keeping our most vulnerable needs and desires to ourselves because as a high achiever, you thrive on feeling self-sufficient. So you're not going to ask for help. And now you're silently crumbling in the background, complaining that nobody helps you out. So we have our own set of issues with friendship, but, um, but I think we're waking up to just how important they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just touched a little bit on like what happens when we don't have friendships. Um, can and and I've heard you talk before, and even seen you quoted in some pieces about how um, there is a direct link between friendship and health, like physical health and mental health. Can you give us like just some of those stats? Like we don't we don't have to get super deep, but but you know whatever feels like top of mind. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much stuff. I just, I just try to advocate for us speaking about friendship from a wellness perspective, because so often we're like, we're talking about it in terms of what are some fun things we can do for brunch this weekend? And yeah, that's important. Shared experiences are important. Having fun together and delighting in one another is so important. But 
but speaking about it from a wellness perspective, I think encourages us to prioritize it mm-hmm. the same way we would our physical and mental health. Mental health, I'm so glad, has become elevated in the public dialogue, but relational and social health as well. And so there is, you know, tons of research. There's there's um, a study from 2020 that found that of more than 100 factors that influence depression, having somebody to talk to is the number one preventer. There is um, a research study that's famously kind of done with women who were um, diagnosed with breast cancer and those who had more favorable outcomes were those who had a social support network. Um, For women specifically, there's so much research on even in postpartum, you know, that you're less likely to fall into anxiety and depression if you spend time with your friends. And they specifically studied it against your family members and partner. And the greatest impact was when you were with your friends after having your baby. So, I mean, there's just so much that points to having social support and feeling satisfied, which is a whole other conversation, because a lot of it's relative. Feeling satisfied with your social support and the direct impact it has on virtually every other aspect of your health. Yeah. Can you, I think one of the hardest things may be realizing as an adult that friendships change. I think I was very lucky, though, growing up, I had uh, this group of friends, and we were just together, you know. Now I'm realizing, as I have a teenage daughter, I was really lucky to have that. But in adulthood, your close friends seem to change a lot more. Or not not frequently, but every, you know, depends on the stage of life and your kids' ages. And you shared some great statistics um, about how I believe how calm, how how just on friendship changing and then how many you can really maintain and that I thought was really interesting. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so there's research that shows us that the the quantity of your friendships matters when you're young and when you're old. So it kind of goes on this curve. And as you're kind of like in the middle, the quantity really matters. Now, obviously at all times, it matters that you have quality people that you're you're socializing with, you know, and they're not a source of negative stress, but that the number really matters as you're growing up um, to have a bunch of varied people you're socializing with, the skills that you get from them, the support, identity support, things like that. And then as you're older, because our, our friends, you know, will fade away, you know, pass away as we get really, really, really old in age. So in the middle of that quality is really important. So yeah, we see kind of like a shifting that happens, a natural pruning that happens. Um, There's research that suggests that we replace half of our friends every seven years. And which kind of makes sense to me, because I think, gosh, when you think of every seven years, those are like significant life jumps, maybe like Mm -hmm. kids, career, like they're big jumps in, in, in your, you know, life development. And so, um, yeah, so those friendships change. Um, I think what you're kind of speaking to is I like to speak about, um, a a theory known as Dunbar's number, Mm -hmm. um, by a gentleman named Robin Dunbar. The general idea is that we can only have enough cognitive capacity for 150 social connections. So I often joke that those of us with maybe a large following are like, Girl, I've got like 10,000 followers. What are you talking about? But your minds, I mean, our brains haven't evolved that much. You know, it's still the same, 150 connections. So if you think of that as a circle and then a series of circles inside of that getting smaller and smaller, these concentric circles, the smallest circle in the middle represents five relationships, five super, super ultra close relationships 
that you can maintain because of the time that's required, the emotional investment that's required. And they found that if you have a romantic, a romantic partner, that person takes up two of those spaces. Oh my gosh. Then, you that's know, what it if was, you've got yeah. three kids and I don't know what that says about you, you know, <laughs> It's been like, oh my goodness. And I know we tend to get caught up in the numbers, but I like to say, you know, we use research as a general guideline to inform your decisions. So generally speaking, if the idea is that I have a limited amount of space to pour in very heavily to to a handful of, of platonic relationships, I have to be strategic. I have to be strategic and I have to be intentional. So this whole thing that we do where we hang out, we catch up for coffee and then we're like, that ought to sustain me for three hours or three months. It's not going to work. And I know some of us are like, well, I'm busy and, you know, I'm kind of a low maintenance friend. And I, and I understand that. And friendship looks different for everyone. But an attitude of I don't have to, like, do much. I don't want to have to do much. They're my friends. I shouldn't have to show up much. I'll just say I think there's a direct correlation between that and, and maybe your satisfaction um, in the friendship and, and the closeness and the benefits you reap. I'll just say that. Um, so, you know, we do need those weak ties as well. So that's what we refer to as like maybe that outer circle, which, which has t- 10 to 15 people. So these are people who maybe they're not my bestie, but like I really enjoy their company and they know a little bit about my life and I can, you know, ask them for support that maybe there's not like a platonic intimacy, but like she's my girl, you know? So we need those too. There's a ton of research that shows the benefits of people who have lots of weak ties as well. I think that's why a lot of us suffer during the pandemic because we lost a lot of our weak ties. The person we kind of see at work, we see every day in the Mm -hmm. elevator, the barista at the coffee shop, we need them too. So the gist of all of that is that If you have a handful of friends and you notice the numbers going down, that's not a bad thing, not at all. So how can you be intentional about pouring into those relationships so that you can reap the full benefits that they offer? Got it. Interesting. Yeah. But I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the five thing. Right. And I'm like, okay, so my husband takes up two, my kids (laughs) take up two. I don't include my kids on it. Like, I feel like that's a different. Well, then what about my ex-husband? I mean, I don't want to give him a number. Just. He doesn't take one, right? Where am I? Like, I can't talk to you right now. I I don't have enough space. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I got one more seat on this train. Well, it made me feel a little better. Competition among our friends. Who's going to get, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) That'll make a good reality show, huh? Yes. It made me feel a little better because I had scaled back in my closeness. I'm so glad I made the cut. It was all I could do for a while. I really needed those, and there were, you know, it was um, it was all I could maintain. But hearing you talk made me feel a little better, and it made me, um, or it's making me more aware of I need to put into it because it, this is a part of my wellness. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to cancel on dinner because this is a part of my wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Absolutely. And I love that it's resonating with you in that way because, yeah, you know, I, I often share too, you know, we're, we're often, uh, many of us are familiar with the concept of fight or flight as stress responses. But when they did that study again with women this time, they found that we have an additional set of responses to stress, tend or befriend. So when women are stressed, we'll either mm-hmm. go and care for those who we deem as more vulnerable and make sure everybody's good. Are you safe? Are you okay? And then we'll also go and gather with others. And when women come together when they're stressed, it releases oxytocin, um, which decreases our cortisol, our stress hormone. So like quite literally, when I'm stressed and I go to other women, 
during that fear, during that distress, it calms me down. And so, you know, it's just, it's just so important to say, hold on a second, mama needs time with mm-hmm. her, with her girls. And to not have that mom guilt, we often feel like ah, I'm spending time on myself. I could be with the kids because you need that for yourself and everybody needs a healthy, happy mama. So, yes. you know, you've got to prioritize that for, for your wellness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I hear you talk about how you need you need that time with your friends, but there are so many um, like there are so many platforms now to stay in touch with friends. So mm-hmm. like I have two really good friends from when I lived up north, um, and only one of them still lives there. The other one lives all the way on the other side of the country, and I live all the way down here. But we keep up on Marco Polo, and mm-hmm. you know that is it's different. But like, like what, you know, what is your perspective on like, you know, the virtual or, or doing like Zoom calls with friends from college or, you know, something along those lines? Like, where does that fall in the hierarchy of fueling your wellness? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's, I'll start by saying any of it's a good thing. Like whatever you can take, you know, whatever you can get, do that, do that. Um, And I have adapted my attitude a little bit on this after doing so much research for um, my book. I I used to be at the mindset of like, no, virtual like is not real. Like you need to be in person. And then I learned that there are people with certain situations, um, maybe they have social anxiety or maybe other issues. And social media has proven to be a very, very helpful thing for them to maintain relationships. So I think if there's something like that, that's serving as some kind of impediment or barrier, that it's helpful in creating and maintaining friendships. Um, However, it does not replace the effect that happens neurologically, emotionally, physiologically, when I'm with you in person. Yeah. And I can see your face and connect with you like just like our eyes look at each other and touch you if I hug you and we're talking in real time. So it's not like I'm texting and then you can format, do other things and then come back. I mean, the real time awkwardness sometimes of of being together in a real space. And so I always say, take what you can get. But when it comes to technology, you want to try your best to humanize that interaction as much as possible. So if I'm used to texting you and that's what we do, can I just like elevate to voice notes so you can hear my voice, you can hear my tone, you can hear pauses between what I'm saying, that signal to you, my thoughtfulness as I figure out what to say. You can hear the warmth if I say something that's like a little, a little tough love, but you can hear the how earnest I am. So it's just important as much as you can humanize these interactions, sending her a little funny video of something you see in Target instead of sending her a picture of it, you know, to kind of leave even more of an emotional impression uh, in that friendship. And there's research that shows that when people meet in a digital sphere, um, their satisfaction is enhanced when they, once they meet in person. And so they encourage you to take it in person as fast as you can. Um, that's why people who like date on apps or they, they do friend making apps sometimes, uh, express to me dissatisfaction after a while. Cause they're like, okay, it's not going anywhere. Okay. And it's because it's kind of getting stale. You have to like jump and put it in the real world as much as possible. Now on the flip side of that, they found that if you started your friendship or relationship in person, and then it moves to a digital sphere. Maybe you're long distance or when the pandemic happened, there's a decrease in satisfaction. Not necessarily the quality of your friendship, but like the satisfaction that you have. And so it just speaks to the importance of being together as much as humanly possible. So what do you consider of friendship being of, of satisfaction? Like how is that 
is that measured? Is it individualized? I, I'm assuming it would be, but I don't know. I'm so glad you asked that because you know what is so um, interesting to me is, you know, I like to spend a couple hours a week like looking at the latest research on things and and then chewing it up in a way that makes it very practical and understandable by people. Um, but it all uses very relative language. It's all so subjective. So even like when it talks about the benefits of friendship in your life, we use the word friendship, like friendship researchers, we use that word. But like when you look at the research study, they're using phrases like perceived social support, mm. perceived oh. social satisfaction, because loneliness is not about not having relationships. It's about how you feel about the relationships you do have. And so I think that's why, and, and I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm a coach and educator. I'm not a mental health professional. I will say, I wonder if that's why people who struggle with other things like depression or other things like that, I, I, uh, I want to be careful. I would say, get curious about how that might be impacting how satisfied you can feel in your friendships. Because even if you're surrounded by people who do love on you and support you, but there's something going on where you you can't be grateful for it or receive it, then like, yeah, that's going to affect how you perceive their support and, and the impact it has on you. And yeah. so it, all of the language speaks to perceived support in your life, yeah. which so is relative, yeah. Ideally, how should you be perceiving things in a healthy friendship? Is that the right? Yeah. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I'll say this. I've learned a lot from one of my colleagues, Dr. Marissa Franco. Her book is called Platonic. It's amazing. And it outlines the ways that your attachment style impacts how you relate to other people platonically. And I've learned so much from her. I'm not a psychologist, um, but I have through coaching several women over the years, I have seen how different our expectations are. So sometimes a woman's talking to me and I can hear it immediately, um, you know, as she's outlining like, and I just feel like she doesn't support me. Like she didn't have my back. And the next question I always ask is, can you tell me what that looks like? Like if I were watching her support you, what would I see? And to force you to articulate what it looks like, because for your friend, it might be a totally different picture, but y'all are using the same language. So you're like, I did support you. And you're like, no, I no, you didn't. It's relative. If support for you looks like, you know, during my divorce, you came and sat with me while I cried and you were with me on my bed while I was like snot crying all over the place and you cooked for me. That's what I needed. But to you, you know, you sent flowers and you sent me a text and you said, let me know if I could do anything. And you did support mm. me. And so you know, it's kind of one of those things, though, that we don't articulate to each other because we believe that with friendship, we shouldn't have to say it. Like, that's the whole magic of friendship. But the consequences, our friendships have proven to be more fragile. Not that they're not deep, but because we perceive these infractions, we silently stack them up and then we're like, you know what? She doesn't support me. And we withdraw. And we never said, okay, can we can we talk? Because I feel like I needed this during that time in my life. I wasn't getting it. As opposed to, I mean, I feel like you were a bad friend and you didn't support me. And we're just using these big, broad, you know, clips of language. And so it's hard for me to say what reasonable expectations are. All I'll say is, if you ever start to notice a little friction and you feel like, how could she not get that? I hate to say it, but have you told her? Have you made it plain? It's very unsexy and it kills the vibe to have to say it. But have you articulated, hey, I think I need this specifically. I think I like weekly check-ins. Maybe it's too much for her. Maybe she's not used to that. But that's where we kind of negotiate as friends. You know, I have a friend who does not like to text. She doesn't like it. But because, so because I know that, 
I'm going to call her. I'm willing to do that for her because she's my friend. And so it's about figuring it out together and making accommodations for people you care about. Wow. So basically it's like a, it's, it's like a marriage, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Boo. Talking about expectations. No, I mean like it is, it's like, but we have this idea that friendship's supposed to be like fun. So why would I be like, Hey, can we have a talk about our expectations? And I think there's like a playful way you can do it. And it feels like a little organic, but I mean, yeah, you know, otherwise we're saying like, man, she's so selfish and she hasn't called me and she hasn't, I mean, what, what's the expectation here? You have some people who like checking in every day. Some people don't like that. It feels like a little clingy to them. Uh, depending on your attachment style, you might like a lot and need a lot. And if a person, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I have a relatively secure attachment style, but I lean toward, you know, being a little, um, a little more independent. So for me, maybe I'm like, Ugh, like turned off by like a lot. You know, and so some of the stuff we bring into a friendship from our our past and our childhood. So what is normal to you might not be normal to me. Um, And so, you know, we've just got to figure it out. Maybe that's why some of us befriend people who tend to have really compatible styles from the beginning. But if you do notice a shift, are you willing to say like, you know, hey, so is that too much? Do you want to do like a weekly check-in? Are you cool with that? Or you want to just talk Friday, you know, every Friday morning or something like that? just, I don't know. So there's ways to experiment and stay curious about each other and what each other's needs are. You seriously sound like you're talking about a romantic relationship. <laughs> I think it's so cool though, because, because it, like you, you put it so well, it was just very clear to me when you said like, we have this like magical notion about friendships mm-hmm. or we have this like thought that friendships are supposed to be like this magical and easy thing. But the reality is like, they're they're they they're no different than a romantic relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, you mm-hmm. don't really grow up with that idea. You know, you, mm-hmm. you make friends with who it's easy to make friends with and you get along with. And if you don't get along, then, you know, mama say, don't play together. You know, like. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're not really trained for adulthood friendships, like for the idea that you really have to work and maintain and mm-hmm. yeah. prune and. And sure, I mean, like, if all of our friendship is, like, constantly talking through our feelings and, like, constantly, then that can be a lot. And at the end of the day, the positive does need to outweigh the negative, you know? But it's just that in any human relationship, there are going to be conflicts because you're bringing your own set of, like, desires, of things you need, of things that turn you off, and I'm bringing mine. So it's only a matter of time before we have competing needs and desires, and we got to figure it out. So, no, we shouldn't be having, like, every conversation. It's like, okay, we got to work through this. Okay, we're going to work through this, girl. Like, all the time. Oh, my God. But it's going to happen at one point, and I'd be curious to see how do you respond to conflict. Is it, oof, this must be a sign that we're not as compatible as I thought. I'm going to leave. It's not fun anymore because you will be starting from scratch all of the time. So you've got to figure out how to do it. There's even research that shows that you are sometimes closer after healthy conflict because you're like, oh, okay, I'm glad we talked about that. I totally get where you're coming from now. Wow, like I feel like I totally get you now. So that it's that happens. But yeah, if we're looking for it to just be a good time and as soon as it's not a good time, or as soon as we're inconvenienced a little bit, we're like, I'm over it. I mean, you know, I think, you know, you know, says something. And and I think you will maybe feel the impact eventually of that. Wow. I know. It's fascinating, isn't it? It really is. Now, are men the same way? 
Yeah, so there are actually a lot of differences between male and female friendships. Um, and I specialize in female friendship, but it's hard to like look up women-specific things without seeing it juxtaposed against men when you look at the research. Um, I always like to stress, stress, stress. I am just talking about um, research-based things. I'm talking about tendencies. I always say that because, you know, if, if I don't front little with that, then you have somebody who's like... <laughs> That doesn't apply to me. So this research must be totally, you know, false. Mm -hmm. So tendencies. A quick rundown of some of our differences. One, how we congregate. Women tend to prefer one-to-one. -one. We tend to be in dyads. Men tend to prefer groups. Some people say that goes back to like, like it's an evolutionary thing where men are involved in warfare. So it's better to have a large squad to like conquer together. Um, that's just a thought, but the way we group is different. Um, how we define like the things that we prioritize in friendship are different. Women's number one thing that they seek in female friendships is emotional support and prioritization. Yes. Meaning if you're my number one, yeah, I, I need to be your number one. That's important mm -hmm. to us for men. Not so much. That I need to be your number one. Not so much, okay? They kind of prioritize um, uh, mate-seeking status. Um, I don't think it's at the top of their mind. Like, I need to find people who have a lot of status. But for them, it becomes about status. For us, it's about connection. Um, and again, I think that goes back to that that warfare idea of like having men on your side who are capable and competent and can conquer with you. It's just my speculation. Um um, in terms of how close we get, in terms of how fragile our friendships can be, you don't often hear too many talk, uh, men talking about friendship breakups because they just don't. But for us, we're so close. And when it's over, it's it's over. And we're thinking about, should I let this go or not? Um, women tend to determine closeness by who they tell the most to. Men by who they've been friends with the longest. Um, so there's just different ways we congregate, different ways we we talk. We talk about emotional support Unfortunately, I say unfortunately, men don't because the latest studies showed that one in five men has zero friends and they're really struggling right now. I wonder if a lot of that is cultural, that we, we, I have some thoughts there. But yeah, but men and women friendships tend to be um, a little bit different for sure. I mean, that is vastly different. Yeah. I, and and yeah. it's it's really interesting to hear you explain the differences because I feel like it actually helps me better understand like why the men in my life you know mm -hmm. have the kind of like friends I'm using air quotes friends because sometimes like you know my like my husband will talk about his like you know oh this is a friend of mine well the friend lives in a different state they grew mm -hmm. up together he hasn't seen the one in 10 years and I've never met him and I'm like this is a friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't get yeah. It. There's one study. I, I forget what it's. I for, I forget the details, but I remember the essence of it. And they found that like they had men write down um, the name of somebody who you feel like you could borrow money from, like a close friend you could borrow money from. And some of them had put down names of men who had died, and they didn't know it, just <laughs> to show, just to show how the way they qualify friendship is based wow. on like oh my boy bob from you know <laughs> back in my military days 
Bob died five years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that would never happen to a woman uh-huh. because our closeness, our closeness is dictated by who I'm telling the most to right now in my life. Who right. knows the most tends to be my closest friend. I don't care if I, ha- I if I haven't talked to you in five years, we're probably not friends. And so it just looks it just it just looks different and again those are tendencies you know not everybody's doing that but when we look at patterns and what's most prevalent um yeah and I think that I mean it sets us up for a lot of different issues too I think that's why women are often positioned to take on a lot of the emotional labor in a marriage because who is he talking to just you but who am I talking Mm. to my friends and so literally a, a huge American survey on uh on the survey of like American life or something did a big study in the summer of 2021. And they found that when faced with the crisis, men turn to their family and their partner, women to their partner and their friends. So you see how there's a balance there of like, well, who's taking all the, I'm listening to my friend's stuff, my kid's stuff, my husband's stuff, you know? So it's, it's a lot. And this world's always been positioned in such a way where the woman has to kind of bear a lot of those burdens you know caretaking is is you know statistically typically a thing that falls on women I mean there's so much that falls on us but men have to get comfortable sharing we have to stop making you know men feel like they're soft if they share or they get close um you know I I have some male clients I work with like in the background they email and they're like I know you work with women but like please and I'm like okay you know all right you know but this is not my specialty so if you're cool with that okay and they're like okay you know and I'm like okay well I'm gonna keep this private because this messes up my branding you know um but I have one gentleman (laughs) who's saying how hard it is because sometimes he just wants to go like hang out with a guy he thinks is really cool oh but they're often but they're often suspicious because it feels weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this guy saying like texting me? Why is this guy saying, do you want to get a drink together? Why is this guy? So there's some of that too, where men aren't totally comfortable in our culture, just being like, yeah, I'm going out with this dude and they're not concerned about how it looks. They can just relax into it. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different things. Um, And then also remember what we said earlier. So if it's about status and a men's friendship, then am I going to tell you the areas of my life where I am weak? So almost as counterproductive to like what we value here, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. one way to prove that is, you know, I I had this TikTok that went, um, that went viral. Okay. Um, But it was, I was responding to a guy's video. He was, I guess he was making a joke and I thought it was funny, but he was talking about how, wow, have you ever watched a bunch of women compliment each other? They're like, yo, I love your pants. And they're like, oh my God, these ugly things or else they barely fit anymore. Like we say something just like disparaging about ourselves. And he's like, it's hilarious. Ha ha ha. And I was like, well, actually here's what's happening. And, and even in these discussions, these little groups, you can see the difference between men and women. So with men, they tend to um, talk for longer periods of time in a conversation We've all, okay, we've all seen that. Oh, yeah. They tend to take an expert position on whatever uh-huh. subject they're talking about. Uh-huh. They tend to interrupt more and they tend to play devil's advocate. They do verbal sparring with one another about who's better. Okay. We don't do that because we value egalitarianism, everybody being equal. So that is why if I get a compliment in front of a bunch of other women, some of us feel the need to knock it back down so you yes. don't think I think I'm better. Yeah. So I have to put myself on the same level. Oh my gosh, this this shirt, I oh my God, this cheap thing. Like I just threw on whatever. Like I just threw on whatever. It barely even matches. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't want you thinking that I think 
I'm better or I have higher status. Now, I'm not saying that's okay. I don't necessarily love that for us. I think we need to learn how to say, oh my God, thank you. I needed that and keep it moving. But that's why some of us feel so uncomfortable in those situations because we value connection. So you thinking that I think I'm better than you is going to disrupt our connection. For men, they're going to, I mean, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm better than you. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. Well, you know, so um, that was my long way of saying, yes, there are a lot of differences. <laughs> So, so is this then yes. also why when when someone compliments me on something, I'm like, oh, I got it here. And guess what? It's on sale next week. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm showing you that I'm not a threat. I'm, I'm sharing my resources with you, which is really important. You know, as as you know, I forget the word for it escapes me now. But, you know women tend to go where the man's village is, you know, and his family. So it's important for us to learn how to be social. I'm about to go with these people I don't know in a new circle following this man. Mm -hmm. And so I've got to learn how to relate to other women and know who to trust and show them I'm not a threat and bond with them. And I'm going to need them to help me raise my babies, you know? So doing that whole like, oh, here's where I got it from. Oh, I'll give you the code to get a discount. I'm showing you I'm not a threat. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing my resources. We can be allies. So, um, so yeah. So you did some hands-on stuff in the when I heard you back in the spring. Um, I know you do one-on-one coaching. Do you do any workshops like for groups or small groups? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 experimenting with what I offer. I really like the one-on-ones because they're like so personal and we accomplish so much together. And um, I have been asked about workshops a lot, and so um, I'm we're trying to figure out now what we think would be. Of most value to women, what they what they need most now. We're thinking for sure one in uh, like January to kick off the new year, like how to attract better friendships. Um, so we're playing around with that and, and having a really big event here in Tampa, Florida in March. So I'm trying to facilitate more opportunities for women to actually connect. I know they like to learn and I know they like to learn together. So we're trying to create some opportunities for that to happen. Yeah, because we, I can't remember exactly what we did right this second, but you put it, you had us do several exercises while you were speaking as a group mm-hmm. and they were just, they all resonated and they were like, oh my gosh, that's why I was like texting Briarly the whole time and taking eight pages of notes. <laughs> but I would love other people to experience that. And it's not saying that you need help with your friendships or you don't know how to be a friend. It is just fascinating. It just helps you understand it so much better. Yeah. I want you to go. Yeah, I, I mean, and I'm like, tell me when this is. I will come to Tampa and I will participate. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm actually. I'll be a little vulnerable. I'm a little nervous. It's kind of like my first event because I'm always like, oh, I don't do events. I just, I just like to educate. I like to coach, and I'm not doing all that. And I just, I mean, like women ask so often. I'm like, it just, it just makes sense. So we're trying to do a big, big, big thing here on March 4th in Tampa. Um, and I think it's going to be a good time and I have some surprises. Um, and I think it's going to be like a, a really good time. And so, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's hard because I think people are so surprised by all the research and things like that, because when I say I'm a friendship coach, um, to people who've never heard that before, I do get, um, a little side eye. I have had women who say, Oh, that's, well, that's cute. Um, mm. I have had people scoff um, and I felt a little embarrassed because I came from saying, oh, I'm a publicist. And I felt really proud about that. And that communicates being a badass pretty quickly. Or I say, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher. And that gets respect to say I'm a friendship coach. People kind of look at me like, are you serious? And so I think I overcompensated when I started. I was like, oh, <laughs> I am going to learn 
everything there is to know and teach people. And so I went really hard on the research part. So people give it the respect that it commands. Um, the other struggle I'm up against is I say female friendship coach. And unfortunately in our culture, anything that's deemed as a feminine interests is seen as frivolous nail polish and cocktails and pink and it's seen as silly so if i'm saying i coach women on how to be friends it sounds like i'm up there talking about tips for how to go to brunch and to style your uh your tablescape for thanksgiving <laughs> and so i think people are surprised to have to take an intellectual science-based approach i think surprises people but that's what i'm determined to keep doing so we'll see what well, happens you're you doing are amazing. it you are amazing <laughs> i mean i would love to hear you i could hear the exact same talk you gave again um it, it was great you were the highlight to me of of the conference um, oh i appreciate you that's so. very encouraging well tell people where they can find you on social and um the and online and stuff yeah, so everything lives at betterfemalefriendships.com. Easy to remember. Um, I'm getting together. We just bought the domain for femalefriendship.com. I'm like, we're going to do all things female friendship. So um, before now, everything's at betterfemalefriendships.com. And I have a weekly podcast called The Friend Forward Podcast. And I just am so grateful for women who trust their their friendship issues to me and who show up and they, they sign up for the coaching. I'm just so proud of women who are like, I think I'm going to be intentional about mm -hmm. friendships. I'm just so proud of women who've gotten to that space and I feel honored to be a part of that journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you, the, the key word is intentional. And I think that's what I mm -hmm. took from it. I realized I needed to be a little more intentional and, you know, the benefits were not just, Oh, I have a good friend. It was mental health. It was my kids had a better parent. It was, I'm, I was a more productive worker and it made me prioritize Take, mm -hmm. cultivating those friendships mm -hmm. a little more. Look at you. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm there. I'm doing it. But it does make me think I tend to be a workaholic. And I'm like, okay, mm. put away the work. This is important too, you know? Yeah. 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 There you go. Good for you. I, I, I hope that a lot more women follow suit. Well, thank you for talking with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.